Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. We welcome you this morning to the broadcast, um, and we are continuing, of course, in our study of the Gospel of John concerning the Messiah of God, for that certainly is the theme of the Gospel uh, and all the Gospels as far as that goes, to reveal the Messiah to the Jewish people and even to us who have come after that time period. So we do welcome you, and so glad that you're here and your participation in both the uh, study and in nearly every way to our, to our, our class and our studies. We thank you for that. You know, the words of Jesus to Nicodemus, that we're studying here in John chapter 3 are as important today as they were when they were spoken by the Lord in that time period, which was uh, somewhere around, I suppose, 29 A.D. Uh, A.D. 29, as you're supposed to say it. (coughs) Excuse me. So that's a long stretch but they're just as pertinent at this moment as they were then for people to understand because they reveal much concerning God's plan of reconciliation and man's condition uh, before and after they are born from above. You see, that's something that's so important I try to want to bring out in this lesson. To, for people to understand their condition before 
and after they have been born from above. That's the message of Jesus. He's trying to show Nicodemus the difference and, and the great change that was at hand. There were going to be people that were born from above, living and walking the earth uh, very soon. But to truly understand the importance of John 3.16, is where we're going to start, um, I think even though the verse is wonderful in itself, as far as, as far as giving us an idea of God saving the world, and not only that, but in the past tense, um, I think it's important for everyone to understand why the world needed saved. You see, many good people don't feel that they need saved from anything. And there are a lot of good people in this world, many, many, many good people that really try day by day to be good in every way. And some of those folks really don't understand why it is they need a Savior. Others know quite well why they need a Savior because of their obvious uh, conflicts. So an understanding of why we need a Savior and how it is that we can be saved by that Savior are very important to the understanding of John 3.16. So... Uh, whereas it may be a good starting off point as, as way as introduction for someone to the gospel, we certainly need to follow up. And follow up, we, we do. That's the, the reason for this program and so many others. Now, let's just read it again. According to Young's, For God did so love the world that his Son, the only begotten, he gave that everyone who is believing in him may not perish, but may have life without end. Age during, Young says, his way of saying forevermore. Now, this is certainly an encouraging statement for mankind in general. God has so loved mankind that his son came to pay the penalty for sin. Well, now, that may not be quite as clear, but that is the reason for this verse. That man may live with God again without the separation caused through sin. Now we're all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The reason for a Savior. And, of course, it, it would help us to understand what sin, um, what sin really means. Well, sin is anything that is contrary to the character and nature of God. Sin is the act of, according to the Old Testament, the act of witchcraft. And not just, we're not just talking about the occult here. We're talking about rebellion towards God. That's what witchcraft is. That's what the occult is. 
a rebellion towards God, his authority. If you've ever heard Satanists speaking freely, they freely admit that they are the exact opposite of godly. And that's their, that's their theme. They have a God too, but it's not the God of heaven, not the righteous God. That's their thinking, <clears throat> but it's flawed in every way. But the qualifier, the qualifier to the statement of, of salvation found in John 3.16, the qualifier is just as visible in this verse. And Jesus, Jesus makes it very clear that for one to be freed from the state of perishing, is that what it says? In him may not perish. That's the idea of the verse. The, the, the qualifier there is that they must believeth in him. I'll stick with that word. Uh, believeth is more King James. Believing. Uh, that's all the same word. That's the qualifier to the other part. Now, here's, here's the thing, folks, and, and we know it. Um, God is not as we're encouraged to be. See, we're encouraged to have no, absolutely no strings on our actions. We're to be conciliatory towards anyone at any time for any reason. Well, that's not God's way, and it shouldn't be ours. It's nice to say, but it doesn't work in reality. Even, even in this physical life, we, we realize it's, it's, that's destruction. Uh, that's the road to destruction, if you will, for everyone involved. So the qualifier is that they must believeth in him. And we went over this last week. The idea of believing is not just a mental assent to the fact that there is, uh, there was a Jesus of Nazareth born of a virgin and he's the son of God. That's all fine. But we have to take everything else with it, including the Lord's, the Lord's uh, command the, the Lord's apostles, as they spoke the words of the gospel and the requirements of the terms of pardon. The believing one is conforming to the terms of pardon. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. <coughs> the apostle Paul says to the church there, And I make known to you, brethren, the good news that I proclaim to you, which also you did receive, in which also you have stood, through which also you are being saved. In what words I proclaimed good news to you. If you hold fast, except you did believe in vain. Now what's said there? It's pretty clear. It's through the words of the gospel that one comes to the understanding of salvation. But not only that, as we found out that the word believing means also has the concept of obedience to. Not only the one believed in, 
but all of the things to do with their sayings and the things that they have commanded, such as the terms of pardon. There are terms of pardon that were put together in the mind of God and, and sent through the Son to the apostles unto the, the people of the earth to be conformed to. Now I want to quote you um, something that was on a chart put together many years ago, back in the probably the 1950s, by Burton W. Barber, a great evangelist and, uh, and Bible teacher. He says, concerning the terms of pardon, there are more terms of pardon than are expressed in any single passage, but there can never be fewer. You get that? Say it again. There are more terms of pardon that are expressed in any single passage, but there can never be fewer. His, his, he's trying to tell us that we must know of them all to be legitimate as one that has conformed to the terms of pardon, has surrendered our life, our spirit, to be trained by God's spirit to be what? Born from above. That's the idea. That's the qualifier. Unless you are born from above, you will never see the kingdom of God. Well, some feel this is a bit on the litigious side. But it really isn't, because if this is the will from heaven, friends, it is our duty to be obedient to it. Burton W. Barber apparently had that understanding. He made a whole chart concerning it, which is a wonderful chart. I don't know if it's still in print uh, any longer, but it may be. And that chart has went around this world. Now, let's look at some of the words found in John 3.16 because they're important. I think there's five of them. And I'm going to look at the definitions from Spiro Zodiatus uh, instead of um, Bullinger uh, just because a, a change up. There isn't any difference really. It's just different words. Um, uh, Bullinger is probably two or three generations away from us and Spiro uh, maybe uh, one or two. So... Maybe the English is just a little different. Well, the first one I want to deal with is the word world. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word for cosmos in the Greek, um, which is what? The sum total of the material universe, including all the persons living in it. Uh, it's the creation. Um, so... Did God love the creation? I believe in Genesis, he, in the last day when he finished his work, he says, it is very good. That's exactly the same thing that we're talking about here. And you see, uh, I had a thought when I was writing this down. I, I'm sure glad that God can see the worthiness of salvation for the world he created. Because sometimes I get very distraught with just the people that live in my country. How can they be so confused between what the basic good and bad, the basic right and wrong? And 
my judgment pretty harsh. But what did God do? He sent his only begotten son. That's the next word, begotten. It means only one of the family. Okay? <laughs> that's, the, that's the meaning. Now, to be a child of God, you are an adopted child of God through what? Your obedience to the word of God. Those that are not in rebellion to God are children of God. You're not just born a child of God, although you are innocent and pure when you're born, and, and you, are, uh, you have life that's been granted by God, uh, but that's not the state that you remain in for a long time. So the only begotten of the family is who Jesus of Nazareth was, the spirit of that one born of Mary. Um, that's why the word is mono, monogenes, single. Thank you for Gene. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and that the Greek is is so very definitive here, right? Very definitive. Now don't get hung up on this, because um, sons and daughters are begat by fathers in the on the earth too. But don't mix up this um, with um, the only begotten of who? God. This is from him. We can't know. He said it. We believe it. And that's how it is. And he has given us a way to become his children. The next word is perishing, which is um, uh, a word we need to understand what it means. And basically... It is to be lost. It is to lose in the great struggle, if you will, of life for a person. That's what it would mean. Um, it is the exact opposite of to be saved or kept from perishing. Um, so the, the word is the word's a heavy word. And, and we need to understand that it doesn't mean discipline or anything. It means to perish. And I won't go any further into that as far as the, the whole concept of punishment or annihilation or something that's not in the context here. The next word I thought was very important was the idea of life. Um, in the Greek, the zoe, the life, uh, spirit, and soul. That's what the life is refer being referred to here. Not the physical life. Not flesh and blood. We're talking about this life, the life that is the life that um, needs to be born uh, from above. Reborn. All right? Everlasting. Um, is an English word that tries to define something that is not really uh, available for us in our capacity. Um, ion is a Greek word for it, not limited to the 
this whole thought is not limited to the measurement of time in our physical realm. That's the concept, okay? Forget about the measurement of, uh, you know, how long you live in heaven. Uh, that, that's a misnomer. There's no time. So you're beyond that part of creation as well. You're beyond that part, and it's hard for us to do anything without the reference to, to time and place for us. We're always in a certain time and in a certain place. But when we're thinking about the kingdom of God, it, 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 is, it is beyond that. So the, those words in that verse, and of course every verse, but in that verse particularly, um, there's, there's been a few different ideas of what that verse really means. But friends, it's very clear. It's the words of Jesus as recorded at, when he spoke to Nicodemus, and it is information of the, of the heaviest and gravest type. Uh, and it's absolutely true. And I, I think it's, um, it's wonderful to have it, uh, but it's also nice to explain it, I think, in a way that we should understand it. Now, as I'm talking about the importance of the verses before John 3.16 and after, let's move on to verse 17 through 21. 17 through 21. Um, and listen to what Jesus says here because, you see, this is he's saying this to explain it to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus will understand the true meaning of all of this. Uh, because this is a message from heaven to man. And Nicodemus being a, a righteous man and a, and a Pharisee, a teacher of the, of the teacher of the Jews, it's, this is good for him to know. And Jesus goes on to say, For God did not send his Son to the world that he may judge the world but that the world may be saved through him. Now let's qualify that verse before we move on. Isn't that the physical life of Jesus of Nazareth we're talking about here? Mm -hmm. Jesus in the flesh didn't come to judge. He came to save by, through him, through his blood. All right, look, we can't take that verse beyond it. Jesus is explaining this to Nicodemus, although he probably had to think about this a while, sure. like we do. But we'll read some verses pertaining to that. Now let's well, move on. We have the benefit of the whole scripture and the life of Christ and where he went when he right. was judging, you know, and when it yeah. was talked about. Uh, so yeah. Nicodemus didn't, although he had the prophecies. Yeah. <clears throat> we have much more light than Nicodemus. So, uh, but not everyone does if they're not a student of God's Word. That's why these things are here for them to learn also. This is all new to somebody that's never, never read it. Just think about that. Verse 18. He who is believing in him is not judged, but he who is not believing hath been judged already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten 
Son of God. Well, that makes it simple, friends. There's only one to believe in, right? Isn't that what begotten is? Only one? Right. Forget about our cults, huh? Verse 19, and this is the judgment, that the light hath come to the world, and men did love the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. That's spoken about in John chapter 1. For everyone who is doing wicked uh, things hateth the light, and doth not come into the light, that his works may not be detected. But he who is doing the truth doth come to the light, that his works may be manifest, that God, uh, that in God they are, they having been wrought. And we'll stop there, because we change, we move on after this. Jesus moves on. Now, verse 17, about Jesus not, not judging in his flesh but he came to save mankind through his blood. Let's look at a couple passages. John 12, verse 46 through 48. A little later on in this gospel, we find Jesus um, making this clear. I, a light to the world, have come. Isn't that just what we were reading? Jesus is the light. That everyone who is believing in me in darkness may not remain. And if anyone may hear my sayings and not believe, I, I do not judge him. For I came not that I might judge the world, but that I might save the world. He who is rejecting me and not receiving my sayings, hath one who is judging him. The word that I spake, that will judge him in the last day. Who's Jesus talking to here? Let's qualify that to start with. He's talking to uh, his. Uh, he's talking to the people in front of him. Right. He's speaking to the Jewish covenant people of God, right? Yeah, his uh, contemporaries. Right. Right. He's speaking to the Jews for, remember, he is the, the Messiah of the Jews. He came for the Jews as promised. So he's clarifying the whole judgment thing. He has not come to judge. That's why he doesn't spend any time judging. He spends all of his time delivering words that have that are the light from heaven that men may be able to come out of the darkness. Now, this idea of judgment is touched on again after Jesus, after his ministry, after the crucifixion, the resurrection, after the ascension, the Apostle Paul preaching in Athens to the, to the scholars of the day, Acts chapter 17 Verse 30 and 31, uh, he's been giving the, the message to them concerning the true God, the only God, but he's now he's talking about someone else, what God is doing. Verse 30, the times 
Indeed, therefore, of the ignorance, God having overlooked, doth now command all men everywhere to reform or repent. Verse 31, because he did set a day in which he is about to judge the world in righteousness by a man or through a man whom he did ordain, having give assurance to all, having raised him out of the dead. Now, there's the judge we're talking about. God said he is going to judge by a man who he did ordain to be the judge, having given assurance to all, having raised him out of the dead. How, who is it that was raised out of the dead that the apostles preached of? Jesus of Nazareth, the only begotten Son of God, right? That's the message they took out. And they, he's, Paul is talking, he's covering a lot of time here. You see, in the time before the Messiah, God is going to judge in a different way, all right? In a different way. And that's not for us to worry about. Uh, we don't judge that. The apostle makes it clear that these will be judged uh, indeed in a different way. But doth now, now being the present, nearly 2,000 years ago, but doth now command all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because the Messiah has come into the world. So judgment now is, is based on believeth, believing upon Christ for your salvation that has been offered by his Father. So, because he did set a day in which he is about to judge, by the way, the time statement there is rather key. Did Paul not understand that about to judge is something that probably wouldn't be referring to 2,000 years? I think so. But he was about to judge the world in righteousness. Righteousness is the Messiah. The kingdom of God is righteousness. That's the judgment. By a man whom he did ordain, and we know who that is, by raising him out of the dead. Why is the resurrection so important? Well, there's one reason. When judgment came upon the covenant people of God in 70 A.D. or thereabouts, it was administered by the Lord. Read Revelation chapter 20. Not only that, the apostles were there too, judging who? Twelve the twelve tribes of Israel. So we have a wonderful clarification here about judgment. During his earthly ministry, Jesus did not judge. He came to save. But there would come a time uh, that the, these things... The judgment. What was the judgment based on? Everything that Jesus said amongst the Jewish people were the terms of judgment for them. Did they accept him or deny him? Pretty clear situation there, right? Many denied. 
to their to their doom. That's verse 17. Is that a, that's a weighty verse. And much was said about it throughout the Scripture, the New Testament especially, and the Old, as far as that goes. Verse 18, obedience to the gospel in all points. Um, you see, uh, it falls with, into the idea of judgment again. If you believe it not, your judgment is certain. It's been laid out. You have no hope outside of Christ. That is, in Christ we have a reward, but outside of Christ we lose our reward of sonship. You see, only family lives with God in the kingdom. Family. And as they say, uh, a very wise person said, and I don't know who said it, but God doesn't have any grandchildren. Uh, that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very weighty statement. This is a personal thing. You know, your children are not redeemed because you are. They must come to it on their own. They will be children of God under the same conditions that you are. God has an only begotten son and sons and daughters by adoption through Christ, through the gospel, and by obedience to the terms of pardon. Verse 19, how can people preach when we read verse 19 about the judgment? This, and let me read it again. And this is the judgment that the light hath come to the world and men did love the darkness rather than the light for their works were evil. How can people preach and teach that we have nothing to do with our salvation? We cannot be blind, friends, to the light. Is there a clear light and a clear darkness? There is. And the older you become, the, the, the clearer it, it becomes. And the darkness is not, <clears throat> um, it's not overwhelming. The light is overwhelming in reality. And for many years, because of my early early days, a little more um, legalistic than it probably should have been, uh, I looked at the world as being basically evil. Um, that was not a true concept. Uh, it was a thought. It may have been presented in that way to me. Um, like nearly everything, I mean, I... By the time I was uh, 16 years old, I had a, a list of uh, three dozen things not to do, but a very, very short list of things to do. That doesn't work very well. Uh, we need to turn that around. And one thing is, is don't be judging folks before you really know them. You don't know their condition. Uh, and people are... As many as people have said, people are really basically good everywhere you go. Yeah. I've seen this my, with my own eyes and my own experience. Somebody will help you that knows you you're from a different country. I mean, they might pick something up that you dropped. Why would they do that? That's, a, that's the light shining, friends. 
the light. And Neil, the civil, the, the you know, decay that we see uh, among society now comes from oppressing those who, who don't deserve it. And it's, right. it's, it's destructive. Yeah. And you'd think more people would recognize it, but they don't. The destruction continues. You know, the analogy is, what you're saying is absolutely true. But, you know, when we're in a, in, in a room with light, we open the door to pitch darkness. You walk out two feet, and that light doesn't do much for you anymore. We, got, we let that darkness flood in, and it will. It comes in like a river, and we will be find it all around us if we let it happen. Things said, the things we observe, um, so many things show the dark, dark darkness of, of, of things done in opposition to the will of God. And one of the biggest things is truth. Wherever truth is perverted, wherever lies are promoted, we find darkness flooding in. But the truth we find from God. Jesus said about his Father, Father, your word is truth. If we are in God's word, we're crowding out the lies in our life. And we need to remember that encourage others to crowd the lies out. Crowd the darkness out because the light is obvious and we make a choice between light and darkness. That's what I'm trying to say here. We have something to do. It's our decision. And God expects us to make a decision to live, to not perish. Verse 21 Truth seeks the light and is not ashamed of his works. You ever notice this in people? I have. People that live in the light. They're not ashamed of the things they do. Um, they're an open book in a lot of ways. They still have their privacy, but they're still an open book, if you know what I mean. And the things, that the truth and the light that they live in are, are clearly seen. They're made manifestly clear. Because the things that were done in God's presence because of the love of God and because they loved God just are seen better. Um, I was trying to think of a quote concerning... Um, works done um, the, the things done in a worldly way and many of them are very good very helpful very uh, beautiful but only the things done in a Christian's life for the Lord for Christ will continue with him we're not going to have the other things they're part of this world um, and uh, we could build a fine house with our own hands. We cut down the trees ourselves. But we're not going to take it with us. It was a fine thing. It, it had a purpose. Uh, if we look at it, we find that everything 
that caused the house to be built was also God-given too. But those are not the things that last. So the things that are in the light, Jesus is encouraging Nicodemus to be involved in. And we're going to move on next week to verse 22, which will set us up for traveling through. We're going to start traveling through the ministry days of Jesus. Um, in verse 22 it says, and here's where we'll start, After these things came Jesus and his disciples to the land of Judea, and there he did tarry with them, and was baptizing. We'll find out about that. We've heard about John the Baptist, right? John the Immerser was baptizing or immersing those uh, for repentance. And we will we'll see the difference here. By the way, this baptizing that was happening with Jesus and his apostles or disciples, they were also baptizing for repentance to the Jewish people. Not salvation, it's unto salvation. If we look at the original Greek in uh, Mark 1-4, I believe it is, it's, uh, it's a baptism unto repentance, uh, unto salvation, or towards salvation. Yeah, the preposition there is, um, is very good. All right, let's is he ever yeah yeah into uh, it can also be it can also be expressed as towards uh, the remission of sins obviously repentance is part of the process of remission of sins right and we see that the the preposition is right there now this is misused many times in saying, well, this verse is exactly as Acts 2.38. But it's not. It's not the same. Uh, it's not written the same. Just because we have ice there. Uh, but, you know, ice has a, a, number of, a number of words that are used in the context of the things said. Okay? This context, it doesn't require the word for. That would be inappropriate. All right? Because it is towards. It's a process. Obviously, the remission of sin has not happened because only the shedding of blood remits sin. All right? That had not happened yet in this context. All right. And we'll get into that more. <clears throat> We'll find very few things that are not very, very important in these verses. We, we help this, uh, hope this uh, study, as in uh, John the, chapter 3, the first part, has been useful to you. Uh, I believe that it's important for us to go over it and uh, over it again as time uh, continues on. And you may have opportunity to share this with others. And we encourage you to do that. So until we meet again, we pray that your, your work for God will be a work that is pleasing to him and will cause you to come back and be with us once again as we meet 
in our class, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.